0: I recognised how important that window of of the physical exploration of coming to the mat, no matter what my state, whether it was going to be really subtle somatic or restorative stuff or whether it was going to be the deadlift, um, and show up for myself, explore what I was on the day and be really accepting and loving and kind to myself about it.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Movement and Mindfulness podcast with me, Erica Webb of Erica Webb Yoga and Pilates. In this podcast, I, along with my guests, will explore what it means to move as an act of self-kindness and self-discovery. We'll look at the ways movement, mindset, and mindfulness support us to be and do the things we so desire in the world. I truly believe that movement has the ability to expand our capacity to show up for the things that are important to us. And I'm here to help you embrace the idea of movement as a powerful tool for wellness, rather than just another thing you think you should be doing. I'm thrilled you're here. Let's do this. So hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Movement and Mindfulness podcast. I'm Erica Webb, and as always, I am super thrilled to have you here with me. So today I am chatting with my friend, Kerry McGregor, who is a yoga teacher and actually did her yoga teacher training at the same time as me. We did it together, which is such a beautiful uh, thing all these years later. And we recorded this interview earlier this year when I was doing a video series all around movement for self-care and self-kindness. And in our chat, Carrie is talking about how our physical movement practice can expand our perspective beyond the practice itself. So in this conversation, you're going to find out about how giving attention to the subtleties can broaden our perspective and how we can use movement to tap into the lessons of valuing ourselves, self-respect and responsibility, because as Kerry says, everything you want to be to everyone else flows from your commitment to yourself. I love that quote. So we're going to dive into that conversation now. I hope you love it. Kerry, welcome.
0: Hey Erica, nice to be here. Thank you.
1: Pleasure. So, can you tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do in this world?
0: Sure. Sure. Um, Well, as you said, we trained together, and I think the connection that you and I made was obviously around our curiosity. Um, And so, for me, the the yoga practice has been a real journey of evolution. Um, My passion when I teach other people is getting them to tap into the same level of curiosity um, to be excited by it not just to be sitting there waiting to receive um, it, listening to what I'm saying and thinking it's gospel that's kind of the the least desirable outcome for me I want to create students um, capacity to reclaim their autonomy yes. um, I'm yeah. fascinated by the human body's capacity for movement yeah, um, yeah. and the ability for us to really connect with something deep inside of ourselves when we're prepared to look in, rather than um, work to the shape, work to the pose or be in service to the pose, to turn it inside out and use the pose as a doorway into ourselves. So I, I, I was recently um, called a yoga disruptor from a new <laughs> student <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so who good. was a little <laughs> disconcerted. By the fact that I was going, but what if that didn't have to be a rule? Mm. So I guess I like breaking some of the traditional rules and finding out what happens.
1: Yeah, I love that. And you know, I share Mm. that passion with you. Mm. Uh, Rules were there to be broken, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for that introduction. And one of the things that I know that you and I do share is this belief around how movement really can help us to build our physical body in terms of strength, flexibility, resilience, and to kind of fine tune, I guess, some of the ways that we move so that we move with with greater ease in our everyday world. But you said something the other day that I wrote down as a quote because it was actually really beautiful. And I was hoping that you could talk about, um, I, I'm going to say the quote in a second, but talk about a little bit how our physical practice, something that we can really connect with quite—I want to say easily, but it's not always easy—but something that is very grounded in, you know, feeling. We can we can feel what's going on in our body, yeah. how that actually connects yeah. us beyond our body. So the yes. the quote that you that you so eloquently <laughs> yeah. put out there was giving attention to the subtleties broadens our mm. perspective. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's beautiful.
0: Thank you. Yeah, look, I think it is interesting. You're right that a physical practice can be a very tangible way in, I think. Um, perhaps for people whose attention is often so outward with the demands on them, it allows them to anchor and ground themselves, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, subtleties are so fascinating. I think we so often in our day-to-day life, paint in very broad strokes. And when we dive down to the subtleties we uh, begin to, in, in movement, we begin to understand little nuances about ourselves. So I think for me personally, I might just kind of roll it back a little. For me, when I stopped trying to push so hard, I started to notice things beneath the surface that hadn't been in my awareness Um, And when I was less intent on creating the bigger, broader movements, I realized that there were so many multiple layers to a movement in those little subtleties, breaking it down into those little Mm -hmm. components. And then as I played with that more, um, and initially from a very anatomical point of view, can I refine the movement? Can I iron out any kinks? This muscle's a bit, you know, overreactive or, or something like that that I started to notice the way I responded mentally to those things as well. And that was a fascinating thing because I started to notice, I guess, in a kind of conditioning and programming that mm. ran very deep around my value, sense of self-value. Mm. Um, if you kind of grew up in my generation, I'm a good bit older than you, <laughs> um, of your value being around doing, constant doing, Um, and that if you weren't doing anything, you were lazy. At school, if you were contemplating something, you were daydreaming, Hmm. yeah, and there wasn't the space for those quiet, reflective things to be seen as valuable. Um, You had Hmm. to be creating output. It's kind of the industrial age worker mentality, yeah? Yeah. Um, So I guess, yeah, that has been such a fascinating journey and it never seems to stop. It's like Alice (laughs) in Wonderland down the the rabbit hole. It's every time there's different layers. Um, And I guess I have a lot of students who, when they've worked with me for a while, really start to tap into that Mm. and notice that they're understanding themselves better. They're noticing their, I I guess, patterns of reacting to certain things or judging certain things and it opens up the capacity to be more open-minded, um, to invite that kindness and the curiosity that you and I are both so keen on seeing um, come out in people's practice. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit like magic sometimes, really.
1: It really is, uh, isn't it? I love that. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious to know because I know that in the work that you do, you do often work with people who are, you know, training in other modalities as well. Um, And and I know for myself as well, like I really like to weight train and that Mm. could be seen as... Counter, I suppose, to what we're doing in the yoga room. I don't believe yeah. it is, and I don't think you not, do either. Um, not at all. But I would be curious to know how you've seen this play out for some of your students, in terms mm-hmm. of when they shift the focus from that external, um, you know, push, shape, chasing that sort of thing, yes. into that more mindful, grounded, introspective practice how mm. that has potentially changed both the way they experience movement but also mm. the outcomes that they're achieving?
0: Yeah, sure. So let me see if I can sum this up a little bit because it's, it's very complex. It's very mm. interesting to see. Um, in my experience to date, and this is both my own personal experience and what I'm seeing unfold as I use this kind of mixed modality training norm, is that in traditional yoga, when we're chasing the shape, we're so concerned with the external that we're not really reading the messages of our body about how much a pose might suit us. Mm -hmm. Turning ourselves into a pretzel. um, I know you and I have both had people go, oh, I'd like to try yoga, but I'm not flexible enough. And the first thing they think of is flexibility. Mm. And I see a lot of Of uh, common links between people who really value flexibility in a traditional yoga sense with people who don't have particularly good personal boundaries and they end up twisting them out of shape in a whole lot of other relationships and actually making themselves feel vulnerable. Um, When we're strength training, flexibility can be a problem flexibility is a range of motion you might have at a joint in any area of the body. Mobility is your functional use of that joint. So I might be able to get into an incredibly deep lunge. But if I haven't got the strength to get myself out of it safely or stay in it safely, then it's such high risk. Mm. And it's high risk physically. But if you translate that to the concept of how you react in your life, it's also incredibly high risk that you burn yourself out. You overextend yourself literally at the joint and then in your capacity to meet your own needs as well as everyone else's around you. When we look for mobility, there is a range of healthy motion, but there is support and structure to make it sustainable and functional. And I think we have, um, as teachers, a real duty to open up a dialogue with students about the capacity to change their thinking of their value of flexibility and shift it to mobility. Um, does, mm. does that yeah, make sense? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. One, one thing that I talk a lot
1: about is this idea of, you know, using your practice to, to practice accepting support. And sometimes, you know, in that, what you're talking about, if we're hanging out into our end ranges um, Mm. and trying to get into the deepest expression of a pose that we can manage, I love what you've said about that sort of reflecting perhaps your boundaries outside of, of that capacity as well. But I also think it's very resistant to Accepting and using support, and and finding yes. that balance between the the pushing and the giving and the and the receiving as well. So it's it's interesting how mm-hmm. those life lessons can be learnt through this very kind of tactical, um, tactical is that the right word? But the, you know this really tangible kind <laughs> like of tactile, tan- tactile, yeah, tactical, yeah. tactile was what yeah. I meant. It's it's interesting I, I how it extends. It was-
0: Yeah, I definitely have, and I'm pretty sure you and I have talked about this before. Students who believe that using a prop is somehow cheating. Yeah. I hear that all the time. Getting out of something. Yeah. And and I'm like, that's such an interesting thing to think yeah. that placing yeah. your hand on a block or putting a bolster beneath you is somehow cheating. And I see a really direct correlation there with people who believe that, with the same people who never ask for help, yeah. who, who drive themselves to the point of absolute breakdown um, and are so diminished and depleted in their lives because mm. they never put in place support systems yeah. to top themselves back up um i would regularly say to students um fit your own oxygen mask before helping those around you you know yeah. i am your flight yes. attendant <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's, exits are here <laughs> it's so important yeah. yeah yeah but it doesn't happen
1: No. Yeah, you're right. And it's interesting because my view of props is that instead of them representing this opportunity to cheat, they actually open up the door to so much deeper exploration because you're working within a capacity that you've got some control over, which is really awesome. So that actually segues beautifully into my next question, which is this idea that we do inherently, and I think most of us do this, I think it's pretty standard where we really put ourselves at the bottom of the pile. And yeah. I think that we are intellectually very cognizant of the fact that that is backwards, but yes. we don't seem to like it hasn't sunk into our being. We don't really yeah. understand it until perhaps we make that shift. Um, and, I, and what you've already talked about beautifully points in the direction of why perhaps that shift you know, could happen and and what benefits we'd get from that. But from Mm. a practical point of view, Mm. what are some of the ways that you've seen work either for yourself or for the people that you're working with to actually prioritise it, not give it lip service because it's like one thing to be like, well, tomorrow I'm going to start and then tomorrow turns into tomorrow turns into tomorrow. Yes. This is actually making that tangible kind of line Mm. in the sand moment where you go, right, I am a priority now and I'm going to prove it. What's, mm. you got any tips around that? <sighs> it's, <laughs> it's a, a really question. tough
0: one. I, you know, because I think, you know, to be honest, it's something we all struggle with every day. 100%. Um, for me, the, I, I might kind of wind the question back a step or two because mm. I guess for me the recognition for me that I wasn't doing that enough came by subtly changing, well, actually not subtly changing, changing what I did for a while. Um, I had an injury that meant that I had to do some real rebuilding for strength Mm. and started doing strength training, as you know, which had been so outside the realm of anything I'd ever done. I'd been deep in the well of soft, gentle, somatic stuff, which I love Mm. and continue to love. But when I started strength training, I started to notice shifts in my psyche mm. and that opened up a whole other doorway. And I, I'm a single mum. I've raised the girls on my own to, they're almost, they're in their twenties now from when they were really little. And that is a time where you often don't have a lot of support and you feel a little frantic. And when I started strength training and, and suddenly started lifting fairly heavy weight, and I say heavy, it's heavy in context of what I'd lifted before, mm-hmm. um, but to get to a point of being able to lift my body weight was psychologically so powerful mm-hmm. to be able to go, I can lift me, I can support me, I can do me and then recognizing that on the very next day i might need to get a pile of bolsters and do some beautiful restorative somatic work and understanding the flow between them definitely mm. the capacity that you had inside of yourself and that that was like a crossroads for me of of understanding how to value myself in all levels of my capacity on the days where previously I would have thought, "Oh, am I being a little pathetic to do something gentle? This isn't. This isn't enough. I'm mm. not enough." Um, and to value just as strongly on a day where I felt like, "Yeah, I'm going to lift eighty kilos now." Yeah. Um, and so I guess in that little exploration that I had, I recognised how important that window of of the physical exploration of coming to the mat no matter what my state, whether it was going to be really subtle somatic or restorative stuff or whether it was going to be the deadlift um, and show up for myself, explore what I was on the day and be really accepting and loving and kind to myself about it. Mm -hmm. And so I've started saying to students, I guess, since that journey, You know, every time you come to the mat, we pause. We spend 10 minutes at the start of a session really acknowledging where we're at, why we've arrived, what we need, how to meet those needs. And over a period of time, those students are starting to go, I know now exactly why I'm coming to the mat. I'm showing up for myself to meet myself and not judge myself. And whatever is present, I'm going to explore that again without judgment of whether there's more value in this than that. Yeah. Yeah, I like. that. I think I've kind of gone in a bit of a funny circle with that. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. No, that's really good because, you know,
1: it's interesting because I think about this question a lot <laughs> um, because one of the things that comes up time and time again with with my community is that it's not so much about knowing what to do, it's about knowing how to fit it in, right? And, and I very much believe that a big piece of that is how we see ourselves, you know, and and also that recognition of the difference, you know, like if I do commit to this practice, I feel a certain way. And if I don't do it, I feel this other way. And then kind of like picking which way do you want to feel and, you know, making choices that take you in the direction that you want to go. And I think that, um, I think it's so multifaceted and I love that you took that direction with it because it's not really clear cut. It's not just, you know, I always say, like, put it in your diary because if it's not in there, it's not going to happen. But it's more than that because if you put it in your diary but at the core of you, you don't believe that it's worth your
0: time, then it doesn't matter if you wrote it down or not. Yeah, or if it's worthy enough. Or if you're worthy enough. I might make the time to do it, but is it going to be enough? Am I, you know? Yeah. So there's a really complex webbing around it. Mm. I know, in in my last year or so of work, and I've gotten busier and busier, that if I do not make the time for my practice and my exploration, um, I'm not as good a teacher. Yeah. Because I'm not feeling the 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 multidimensionality of of the possibilities i'm tapped out i'm exhausted i have to come back into myself for my practice whatever form that takes um in order to be able to show up for my students as well um because otherwise i'm depleted yeah um, and doesn't so that right extend
1: it that extends beautifully out into you know maybe you're not a teacher out there but you are a parent or you are a partner or you are a sibling absolutely. or a child and you know, it, it makes you recognize, like, I am not the mother I like myself to be if I am not looking after myself and it only takes a few times of things going pear shaped in my world for me to go hang on I'm seeing a pattern here and you know you you start to and and it's taking responsibility for that isn't it too because you know you know that you are the only one who can actually then make the decision to go and take that time like nobody's riding in on a horse to come and (laughs) save you from yourself you've got to be the one that commits to doing that practice even if you've got all of the support in the world you have to put the pieces in place and then go out and do the thing that is going to to bring you that yes. that joy and that place. and there's yeah.
0: there's a level of self-respect i think with the boundary setting that's required mm-hmm. to be able to say i'll be with you shortly however right now i need to do this yes. and then i will be the better for it yeah um so definitely I've had a lot of students say to me after a period of time and some of them only a couple of months mm. some of them a little longer I'm nicer to my partner now yeah my my relationship is better because mm. I'm kinder to my partner and to realise likely Well I was about to say yeah. it's because they realize <laughs> it's they're kinder to themselves it's very hard to be kind to other people for too long if you're not being kind to yourself you end up being a martyr you end up getting a bit bitter and twisted Mm. so I think it is the kindest thing and to be fair you know years ago my kids would tell me 10 years ago you know when we were first training and and in those early years of teaching they would look at me sometimes and go ah Mom, I think you haven't probably done a yoga practice for you. (laughs) They'd be like 12 and telling me this. You know, they were very cognizant of the fact that I was a different person if I didn't get my practice in. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, my encouragement definitely to all of my students is fit your own oxygen mask first because everything in your life comes first. Um, I work out with my personal trainer every week. And it is a financial commitment that I literally put in line under paying my rent. Mm. The second step is paying my trainer. And it's because I show up every week, regardless of how much sleep I've had, how well I've eaten. And I know that it brings me back into alignment. Mm. It allows me to focus on myself, to dive down in this practice and explore where I'm at. And it is the very um, key to me showing up every week for myself. I know that it works for me. It gives me the strength to do everything else. Um, And at that stage of my life, that strength is a a foundation that then gives me the space to explore subtleties as well. Mm. And everyone's combination is different. You know, a few years ago for me, the most important thing was a very gentle somatic practice. There's no way I could or should have done strength work. So I'm not saying the strength work is the only way to go. I'm saying know yourself well enough. Spend enough time exploring where you are at to know what it is you need and then devote your time to it so Mm -hmm. that you are being kind to yourself by giving yourself exactly what you need and making that a priority. Yeah. Because everything else that you want to be for everyone else flows from that point. And it really does. Yeah. That was perfect. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: I love that. Okay. So
1: I'm going to wrap us up, but can you tell everybody where they can get more of your beautiful
0: wisdom? Where can they find you? <laughs> sure. Okay. So you can find me at Cora Yoga, Kerry McGregor on Facebook. Um, I don't post there as often as I should at the moment. <laughs> but you can always ask me questions there. So
1: thank you so much, <laughs> to Kerry, for taking the time to chat with me. I am so far, always honey. so grateful for your time and for your friendship. Um, and and I hope too. you have an awesome day. You too. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Movement and Mindfulness podcast. I hope you loved it. And if you did, maybe share it with a friend who would love it too. And I'd also be so grateful if you'd take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. It makes such a difference to get that feedback. And if you're over on social media, why not come and find me? You'll find me at Erica Web Yoga on both Instagram and Facebook. And over on my website, you'll find access to some free resources, including free classes that will help you to move well, feel well, and most importantly, move with kindness. Over there, you'll also find more information about joining me inside the Mindful Movement Virtual Studio, which is my home of kind movement, yoga, Pilates, and somatics to help you move well, feel well, and all with kindness. Until next time, I hope you're having a great day. I'll talk to you again soon. I hope you have an awesome day.
0: You too. Thanks, Erica. Bye. Bye.